I'm so glad that you're, you're here worshiping with us this evening, whether, uh, whether you're a regular with us or whether you're a guest, we, uh, we're glad that you're here, and tonight we're going to, we're going to have a lot of fun this evening. Uh, we're going to have a, fun, a lot of fun because we're going to talk about, and we're going to be really practical. Sometimes you uh, have sermons and you have messages and you gear them and you wire them and you have them uh, in a way where God calls to, to do something that's very incredible high challenge, but other times it's high invitation, and we need both. And tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a real logical approach at something that can, on the outside looking in, it can, can seem difficult for us. And what it is, it's talking about what does it mean to be the church? And what does it mean to, to, to be called to be a part of the church? Because whether you like it or not, and whether you would acknowledge it or not, you're here. And because you're here, no matter how long you've been here, you're here because God called you here. No matter what circumstances were involved in getting you to the seat that you're sitting in right now, you're here, and because you're here, you're a part of the church. And that matters. And it matters because the world needs you. Because God has called you. And God has called you and needs you to, to use your life and everything about your life and use it in a way that will bring light and will bring life to the world around you. You say, ah, Jeremy, that's impossible. You don't know me, and you don't know how much of an infancy stage I have found myself in in my faith. With all due respect, that doesn't matter. I'll say it again. It doesn't matter. None of us, this side of heaven, is, none of us are going to have faith figured out completely. Every one of us is on a journey, and it's a part of that journey that has, it has peaks and it has valleys and it has everything in between. But what we're going to discover is that no matter where you are on that spectrum, in your faith, in your relationship with the church, with God, that no matter where you are, God is using it and is going to use it, not just to fill you, to fill the life and the lives of the person and the people who are around you, and it matters. That's where we're at in this series that we're going through during the season of Lent. It's called the Jesus Run. We're walking through the, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's account of Jesus' life, and we're seeing the incredible movement that Jesus had brought into the world. It wasn't just a following. It was a movement, and it was a movement that was having an incredible impact on the world, that people would hear and people would experience what was happening and they, they needed to be a part of it. Have you ever had something like that? Something that you've heard about or you've seen, maybe it's in the fall and it's getting close to Christmas time and your children have heard or seen something that they need to be a part of. And so their whole movement towards Christmas is, I need this and if I don't have this, my life, it's not going to be complete. There are so many things that we follow and we pursue, but this one matters eternally. Brings us life and it brings us meaning and it brings us joy in places and in times where those things would seem seem impossible. 
my wife Bridget and I had the opportunity this weekend. We went on Friday afternoon. There was a marriage retreat uh, at a Lutheran Bible camp that's just north on I-35. And so they had asked uh, a couple months ago, probably about four months ago, if we'd be willing to come and teach at the marriage retreat. They, I, we, we were convinced that the only reason they asked us is they wanted somebody who really had to put a lot of things into practice because our marriage is not perfect. But we had the opportunity to go and to, to point married couples, ourselves included, to the only thing in their marriage that will never change. The only thing in their marriage that has the ability to hold them and to keep them together. And that same thing is for you and for me in our own lives. Not just for married couples, not just for people in marriages, in relationships. But for all people, the desperate need that we have, whether we try to find it and fill it in any other thing, the desperate need that we have for Jesus Christ. This is what people were experiencing as we go through Matthew's gospel. As we've done it, we've been following this huh, Friendly Jesus. And for those of you who have been here the last two weeks at Lent services, you know that if you go and you find friendly Jesus, a little stuffed Jesus somewhere up here, I don't know uh, where it might be, but it might be close to the thing that Jesus uh, went and, and died on. I don't know. It might be somewhere in that region over there. But following worship, if you go and you have your picture taken with friendly Jesus and bring it to our Connect, Grow, Serve Tables, you'll, you'll get a treat. And that's not just for the little kids, it's for the big kids as well. Because who doesn't want a dumb, dumb sucker? Except for the mystery flavor, because that weirds me out. I want to know what I'm getting myself into. But as we've gone, we've gotten to the point where Jesus called his first disciples. Called ordinary people to follow him. Last week we talked about the, the healing of the paralytic and the healing and the power uh, that Jesus gives in our lives to restore us and, and give us ultimately the most important thing is the certainty of eternal life. And it's shortly after this encounter that Jesus has with the paralytic that Jesus has, and, and Matthew accounts of a series of miraculous healings. And by this time, the, the crowds have heard so much about Jesus because you see there are people who are living in places where, where they didn't have any hope and, and they didn't know where, where to turn. And, and there are people who existed on the margins of society that if something was going wrong, you weren't included in, you were pushed out. And so people hearing that there is somebody who has an answer to all of their questions, the crowds are beginning to to press in on him. Everywhere that Jesus went, people followed him. We will see that as we read through the Gospels, Jesus couldn't even find a place to rest because people were just at his feet everywhere he went because he was giving them something that they couldn't find anywhere else. That's what brought you here today or what brought you here or to any church once upon a time. That you knew that there was something that you needed. There was a hole, there was something that, that was empty in your lives that no matter how hard you tried to fill, you just couldn't fill it. And you asked yourself the question, is there something more? This is what Jesus comes to give us, to offer us. So Matthew chapter 9, the very beginning of the passage that Matt read for us just a few minutes ago. 
The crowds have pressed in on Jesus. There's, there's, there's just a vastness to the people. Crowds are so thick, you, you couldn't even find your way around. And, and Jesus looks at all of the people who are desperately searching. And the Bible says that he looks, and he sees the crowd, and he had compassion on them. That word compassion in, in the Greek, the word, it literally means being moved deeply from within. That there was a stirring that happened in Jesus' soul as he saw all of those, these people who were wandering around, Matthew says, like a sheep without a shepherd, not knowing where to turn, where to go, looking for direction. And you and I know that this is not a phenomenon that was just unique to the first century in which Jesus lived. exactly like the world we live in today. There's a book that was written about four years ago by a guy by the name of James Emery White. James Emery White was researching, he, and he was trying to understand the, the, the religious landscape, the faith landscape of the American culture, and he writes a book in response to that called The Rise of the Nuns, and he's trying to understand how we operate and how we move into a world that's filled with more and more people who are either unchurched, never been exposed to it, never heard of it, never been a part of it. The people who are de-churched, meaning at once upon a time they were a part of a church. Maybe growing up they were at a church and they were there each and every single week and, and somehow through the course of life as they've gotten older, they fell away and they've never come back. Or the people who are unaffiliated, who just don't identify with it at all. And it's a book that's absolutely fascinating. James Emery White says in this book, The Rise of the Nuns, and now, now, it's not the gospel. <laughs> there are pl places in this book that I would disagree with his perspective, as we do with anything outside of, of Scripture. It's not perfect, but it's, it's very informative. James Emery White says, the vast majority of those who are unchurched are not actively seeking a church home. Further, they are divorced from seeing it as a need in their life, even when they are open to and interested in spiritual things. It's a reality that we live in a world where people are searching for something more and don't know where to find it, and unfortunately, for a lot of people, the church and faith may have fallen off the radar. Now, no, no, don't mishear what I'm saying. Because I don't believe that there is anything that we could do to stop the movement of God in this world. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit is alive and it's active. The Holy Spirit 
has the ability to transform our lives and, and, and do miraculous things. And it's on the move and there's nothing that we can do to stop them. But the invitation that we have is to be a part of what God is, is doing in this world. It's why you matter. Maybe you're one of the people that's here searching for something more and I'm glad you're here. Because we all long for something more. We long for our story to connect to something that's greater than our own. Research, research will, will, will say that people who are connected to a cause that's bigger than themselves have a higher quality of life and will live longer. People who move into retirement without connecting to something that gives them significance and meaning and structure to their day will have their health deteriorate at a more rapid rate than those who are connected to something bigger. And here's the awesome thing. Is we get to be about something that lasts forever. To allow people and to allow ourselves to see that our stories are not our own. We forget sometimes. We forget sometimes the incredible gift that we are. We forget that no matter what the events that took place for us to enter into the world that we live, that there is nothing that is accidental about us at all. That before you were born, while you were still in your mother's womb, that's why this Ruth Harbor uh, uh, project we're doing for Lent is so incredibly important. So important that we can, as a church, help Ruth Harbor minister to unwed mothers who are having unplanned pregnancies, and we can help them bring those pregnancies to, to, to life, and because God loves those children as well and, and is longing to, to have his plans be realized in their lives. This Lent project is unlike anything we could ever do. God planned you to be here, walking this earth, changing the world, connecting your story to his story. See, the most amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he offers us to be a part of it. To allow people to know a better way and a deeper truth and a more abundant life. It's John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus gives this amazing invitation. He's talking to his disciples who are wondering what the effects of what he has just told them is going to have in their lives. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come and get you and everything is ready. And you'll always be able to be with me. 
And you know the way it is to where I'm going. You know the way it is to, to find this incredible gift that I'm offering to you. And Thomas says the words that so many of us say in our own hearts and our own minds. How, how could we ever know the way? If the way is to Jesus, if the way is to Jesus and the way is to faith, how do I do it? And Jesus says, just come to me. I am the way. I'm the better way. Whether we state it or not, whether we're intentional about it or not, all of us follow some sort of way in our life. Something has a priority for us that gets the ability to prioritize all of the things that we have in our lives. That structures our days, structures our time, structures the way in which we plug into things. And Jesus says, there's no better way than to plug into who I am and into what I'm about. Come to me. I am the way. I am the path it is that you are looking for. And I'm also the truth. A truth in a world that will not change. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that it seems like Everybody is coming up with a, a, a better truth or a, a new way all of the time. And sometimes you start to ask yourself the question, or maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm alone in this. But sometimes in my mind I start to think, what's going to come next? What do I hold on to? How do I know if what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, how do I know if it's true? Jesus says, but I'm the truth. You gauge it by me. I am an unchanging word in an ever-changing world. And that word became life. And if you're looking for truth, and we have a world that's looking and longing and yearning to find something that won't shift when everything else in their life does. I'm the truth, Jesus says, and I'm also, I'm the life. No matter what it is that's been stealing it from you, Jesus says. If you're looking for a life that lasts and for a life that's full, come to me. Find it in me. I'll give you that direction. Jesus sees the crowds of people who are lost like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looks at his disciples, these 12 people that he'd called to, to follow him. By this time, the people who were following had grown, and he, and he looks at all of them, and he says, the harvest is plentiful. See, sometimes when we look at some of the research that we saw that uh, happened in the rise of the nuns, we say, well, that, that just shows that the church is in danger, the church is in peril. Now, Jesus reminds us that the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is great. We live in an amazing time to be able to share what God has to share. I don't believe that we have had a generation that longs for the truth of Jesus Christ more than the one that we exist in right now. Culture is changing at a more rapid rate than it ever has since the beginning of time. We live in a digital world and we don't know how to handle it. We exist in that ourselves and, and for those of us who have kids, we have kids who are, are growing up in it and we don't know where to turn and what to do. 
the landscape of life as we know it has is, is shifted, it's changed. And Jesus acknowledges the harvest is great. But here's the challenge. The workers are few. Jesus says, pray to the God of the harvest that he'll send the workers into the field to bring it home. That's you. Talked a little bit about it last week, but when's the last time you've been able to point somebody to Jesus? You say, oh, yeah, but that's, that's, that's not my thing. That whole share my faith, that whole invite other people, that's for certain people, that's not for me. And the reason sometimes we think that is we make it a lot more difficult than it really is. So now we're getting to the practical part. Because see, when we live a life on purpose, when we take the Jesus run, what we'll see is the blessing isn't just for the people we encounter, it, it blesses us. So three L's. The first, how do I do this? Love. If you want to know the single greatest way to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ, love them. We have a real big tendency to divide over issues that just don't matter. To polarize ourselves from one another. And what the world sees, especially when this happens in this church, is something that claims to love but doesn't know how to do it. Love is the greatest power in the world. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, three things will last forever, forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is why? Because love is the only thing that has the power to change a person's heart. We need love. We need to resist the temptation to criticize and judge. It's tempting, trust me, I know. We need to resist the temptation to look at people that we see as those people and, and to start to literally pick everything apart about them that we don't like. Who wins when we do that? If that's your knee-jerk tendency when you see somebody who believes or thinks or acts different than you, for the good of you, for the good of them, and for the good of everybody around you, stop doing it. Start to love. It's the most magnetic thing we can do to share the gospel of Jesus Christ by just simply loving people. <laughs> They'll see Jesus Christ. When we love Christ is revealed in the world in which we live. James Emery White says, Un unloving attitudes and words cause a stench that the world can smell. Our sharp tongues, the lack of love between us, these are what properly trouble the world. We need to get back to our first love. And that's to love. Because we've been loved first. 
it was God's love that allowed you to come to a knowledge that his grace is for you. We can't forget that we're all sinners in the need of God's grace. And none of that rises above any other thing. We gotta resist the temptation to play the elevation game of, of what counts more and what counts less in the eyes of society and get back to knowing that anything that stands between a person and God is sin and that sin God can handle and the way to do that is to love. The opportunity uh, this this evening to have somebody that joined our family for two summers. Our family has done uh, family camp at Okoboji Bible Camp every summer. It's our kids' favorite thing. We give them the options of what, of what they want to do every summer. And so Bridget and I will say, hey, we can go and we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. And every year they say, no, we, we, want, we want to go to camp. We want to go to camp. We want to go to camp. And to be honest, sometimes Bridget and I, we don't want to go to camp. So we have all these ideas, you know, I'm thinking, let's go to Minneapolis and go to like four Twins games. That would be fantastic. And I try to tempt my son with things of this world, and my son loves Jesus. And so he says, I want to go to camp. And you want to know he wants, why he wants to go to camp? Because he's loved there. And he's loved in a way that we as his parents can't love him. Two of his counselors and our daughter Jade's counselors are, are hanging out with us at worship this evening. And I can tell you that Wyatt's love for my son and my daughter has shown them the God that loves them. And you can do the same. You have a tray or you have a Jade in your life that's dying to be loved. So start loving. Number two, listen. Be slow to speak. Sometimes we will encounter someone that we think needs Jesus and all we do is just shove it down their throats. If you've ever been in a situation where you found yourself facing something that you don't know how you're gonna get around, and you've had somebody that has come alongside of you, you probably don't remember a thing that they said, but you remember the fact that they were there. That they listened to you when they needed somebody to share with. There's a woman by the name of Jackie Pollinger. She uh, was called as a missionary in the middle, uh, middle 60s, I think it was 1966. She was born in London. She lived uh, in London and, and she felt God's call in her life and she felt God's call to bring her to Hong Kong. And there was a section in Hong Kong at the, at the time that was called the Walled City. And it was a place that was uh, the highest place in Hong Kong of crime, of prostitution, of drug use. Nobody dared to go into this walled city and Jackie Pollinger just felt this call that she needed to go and she didn't know what to say but she, know, she knew that she needed to go and to listen to the lives of the people who were stuck in a place and didn't know how to get out. 
And Jackie Pollinger says this incredible, this incredible statement. He says, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. Hearts that are softened for the things that hurt God's heart, the things that God longs for. We need to have soft hearts to, to have the, the same heart that God has and hard feet that are hardened by all of the walking we do to go and to encounter those people. She says, the trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. And we're unwilling to, to listen, to encounter. Number three is to lead. To let your life and to let your light shine on display so that people will see you and give glory to their Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. To lead by invitation. To build the relationship enough that you can walk up to someone and say, hey, you really need to, to come with me. You say, oh, I could never do that. You could say, that's just unsuccessful. Research will argue with you. Check this out. It really haunted me. James Emery White, uh, which to me was a, a quote I came across this week that it really, it, it convicted me. Sometimes I'm so uh, kind of bashful in, in just saying to somebody, hey, you need to come to hope. And I'm not saying hope because I think hope's the best church. I'm saying hope because I go to hope. And so if they're friends of mine, I should just say, hey, you should come to church with me. A lot of friends that don't are unaffiliated or de-churched or unchurched. Oh, I just kind of want to be careful. I want to be careful. I don't want to push too hard. Listen to this. There's one thing, James Emery White says, there's one thing that 82% of all unchurched people can't seem to resist. It cuts through their defenses and penetrates their barriers. According to surveys at LifeWay Research, get this. 82% of them seem to have one single weakness. If a friend or someone they invite or no invites them to church. Reread this. 82% of all unchurched people would come to church this weekend if they were invited by a friend. That rocked my world. To be honest, I would have thought that 18% of people would have come. If we were to think of the section in, in, in the upper left field, everybody look at all those seats. There's 100 seats there, give or take. And if you put 100 people in those seats and you ask them, hey, would you come to church? 82, over 80% of the people would come if they would just be asked. And sometimes you say, well, I don't want to push it on them, and I don't want to be pushy. No, love them, listen to them, but then lead them. Invite them. Bring them to the house of God where they can hear the only thing that has the power to transform their life. This is why this matters, because we're all searching for life. We're all searching for meaning. We're all searching for something we can hold on to that can give us certainty and can give us eternity, and only God can do that. And you can save somebody's life for eternity if you would just invite them. 
Jesus says the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So go out into the harvest. Go out into the world. Go out in such a way that you're magnetic. And when people say, what is it? You say, you should come to church and you should listen to it. You should hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God loves people so much that he gave his life for them. It's in Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible with you, open it up. I don't do this often. If you don't have your Bible, God forgives, but I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'll read it. It's in Romans chapter 10. Paul says these words. He says in verse 13. says, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Regardless of religious beliefs, regardless of background, regardless of things that they've done or things that they've left undone, same as you and same as me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The invitation to the kingdom of God is incredibly wide open. Paul goes on and He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody somebody tells them? And how will anybody go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. We need to have soft hearts and hard feet. We've got to get away from the hard hearts and the soft feet. Because people are dying to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a life and death matter. Our lives depend on the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now we exist to make heaven more crowded. We do not have an angry God that wants to make heaven really hard and hell really easy. We have a loving God who wants to make heaven really easy and hell really hard. And people are dying to have the invitation to hear the good news Jesus Christ. I mean, this is the run that we're on as a church. This is the mission if you would choose to accept it. I mean, without even saying, and without even thinking very hard, I'm sure you know somebody who you know that needs to hear the good news, whose life has hit a roadblock, and you have the answer. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Anybody can get to the Father if they come through me. Anybody can. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. They'll receive forgiveness. They'll receive the certainty, the assurance of everlasting life. It's not a call to be perfect, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have it all figured out. One blind beggar talking to another blind beggar trying to find a good piece of food to eat. 